Dogs of Warcry is a new podcast from the Mortal Realms, focusing on Warcry, a fast-paced, cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. Join us for discussions on gameplay, rules, lore, painting, terrain building, campaigns, and events. In Episode 3 of the second season, we are going to discuss Warcry multiplayer games and our experiences playing the scenarios and missions. Welcome to the Warband. My name is Eric, and answering the call with me this week is Josh and Paven. How are you gentlemen doing? Doing great. Thank you. Very good. Uh, We've had a bit of snow over the last uh, few weeks, but this last week has been a little bit warmer. Has the ice come off your driveways, guys? That's the most important thing. Almost. Yeah, actually, I'm pretty proud. Uh, Me and my buddy, we scraped up a bit during the melt, and uh, so I got a nice, clean driveway for the first time in two months. Very cool. Very Very luxurious as I pull in. Yeah, I swore to myself that I was going to keep up with this last snow, that I was going to get out there uh, like once every two hours and do all the things. But I uh, like one of the snowfalls just came right at the wrong time where I needed to leave. And my least favorite thing is uh, driving over even a light layer of snow. Uh, Not my favorite because then it compacts down and then I'm frustrated. So it just ruins my winter. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I hope those of you who are in warmer places are having better uh, experiences in your week. Uh, but just thought we'd share a little bit about us and humanize us a little bit so you don't think we're just these, you know, chaos-stricken monsters that we portray here on the podcast. <laughs> All right, guys, it is time to warm ourselves around the Forge of Mithraxis. Uh, and uh, I've only been talking a little bit, so why don't I go ahead and talk just a little bit more? About yeah, my so. like talking timer is, hasn't <laughs> gone off yet. So yeah. <laughs> uh, so my, for my hobby, um, I've finally gotten. Uh, I've been working on my ogre ironclad uh, that I've built from Sector Mechanicus uh, terrain kits, and I've finally gotten my flight stand. Uh, I don't like to use like the invisible or clear plastic flight stands. I always like to make it feel like they're a part of the scene or whatever. And so in this case, uh, the big giant ironclad is smashing into, you know, an ether stack, some sort of industrial, you know, detritus and, uh, and is smashing into it and bending it over, which is where I've cleverly hit a little, uh, uh, bolt that I can bolt the, the ironclad onto that way I can remove it and put it on a board and play it for uh, Warcry. Cause let's face it. Uh, there's not, there's not enough cool stuff like that for Warcry. So, you know, in the end, I'm just building cool Warcry terrain, right? Um, and then uh, I pulled out an ogre lead belcher that I had started assembling. Um, I don't know why I did that. Uh, I do. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe it'll come to me at some point. But uh, that's what I've been working on. Uh, Josh, how have you been? Yeah. Doing? Yeah, I've been uh, working on the terrain project, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But um, also, uh, last weekend, a bunch of the card packs all came out, so I grabbed a bunch of uh, cards to use for future war bands, you know, Cardron Overlord, Slaves of Darkness, Beast of Chaos, and both the Zinch war bands. Probably try out the KO first, just because I have all the models, although I need to do some assembly and painting and uh, quite a bit of work there. But some of the other war bands I'm interested in, I would have to buy a kit or two. So I'll have to think about that and how best to do that. But definitely excited about the trying out some new stuff. 
Definitely. Paven, how's your workbench? It's, it's good. I got a couple questions for you guys first. First, Eric, um, is your ogre ironclad going to become a uh, join or spew forth an ogre warband? Um, so that's a complex question. You would think uh, that pretty straight, straightforward. Yes. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's a straightforward question. It's a complex answer. The ogre warband that I have like ready to go would be my ogre nids, my, my bug claw raiders, uh, which are ogres that have dominated tyranids and, uh, are, you know, armored out with carapaces and stuff. So I have them ready to go on the table, but the ogre that runs the ironclad is more of a man eater style, more militant. So I, st- I also have an idea for a warband uh, that's in that style as well. So perhaps, um, but but we'll see. Maybe two different themed warbands f- that are ogres for war cries, overkill for some, but I might manage it. And Josh, are you bringing your KO to uh, this Thursday night? Um, I might try them out. Yeah. So. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Enough stalling. Uh, getting back to my hobby progress. <laughs> um. Uh. So last we checked in, I was working on the Gobapalooza. I am still working on the Gobapalooza, but I've made pretty good progress. I am at the finish line out of four out of five of those guys. Um. So just really the one left. It's at one and a half. I still have a little bit more basing left on the Boggle Eye. I can kind of painting them one at a time because they they feel more of like character models than like a unit, even though they're uh, a unit in a Age of Sigmar. Um, once I got through the... I'm going to really drag out this segment because I haven't made a lot of progress otherwise. So, uh, <laughs> so once I got through the figuring out what to paint every potion stress, uh, it's been a real joy to to paint these guys kind of like what I was hoping. Like they, they feel they're so characterful. They're so fun. There's a lot of like detail to work on. You get a lot back from putting effort in. Um, just, uh, yeah, it, I'm so close that I actually, uh, have made my subsequent purchase with the next thing I'm worked on. I'm going to work on. And I really, Oh man, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this at work last week. Um, a lot of idea boards. I really wanted to make chaos happen as my next war band. Um, was that going to be a tagline? Make chaos happen. Yeah. Yeah. Make <laughs> chaos happen 2020. Um, uh, but like, yeah. And I, I, like, I don't know how far to get into it, but like, I really want to make slave to darkness because I really love the new cast warrior models. I just didn't want to buy a whole start collecting box. You can't buy them separately yet. Um, and I don't want, and I wanted to find a substitute for the Marauder models because those are just pretty old and I wasn't really that excited about them. And then I went, I went round and round and round. Um, and then I then I just like scrapped that idea, went into Splintered Thing again, tried to figure out a way to make that work. And in the end, uh, to cut to the chase, I bought a bunch of Iden at Thiepkin. Um, so <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so I, I I bought a pack of eels. Um, I had a whole I have a whole unit of thralls already painted up. So if I paint up one eel for a leader, I can I can get above a thousand points, and so I can start playing with those guys. And that's uh. It's a little bit of a stall tactic because it, it'll be a one quick unit to paint, and then I'm and then I haven't committed myself to any larger project. Um, awesome. So I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited to try to find a solution that isn't plastic flying sands, like Eric suggested. Eric gave me advice like a year ago about like how to make flying on uh, 
look realistic and trick the eye. Um, I was actually asking him about Eldar Windriders, but I'm going to try to use it here. You know, I think to paraphrase, and I, and I hopefully I'm not bastardizing your advice. Was like <laughs> avoid the like the T pose, like right. or like a yep. straight up and down support, because your eye immediately goes like, oh, that column A is holding up model B. But if you can break that ang- those angles up, you can really trick the eye into think it's flying in the air. And so I'm going to try to do that. I don't know how yet, but uh, <laughs> that's my hobby progress. Awesome. I'd like to. There's a lot of ups and downs there, uh, Paven, from you know going ahead and, and making a purchase without finishing and trying for chaos and ending up over your head underwater uh, with the deep chin. <laughs> I'd like to think that. In in uh, in a narrative sense, the Forge of Mithraxis are where um, a lot of uh, issues got ironed out, not just weapons. So, if you need to talk, this is where to do it. Well yeah. done, everybody. Good job. Good good job, everybody. I've, I put I put them together and I've primed them, and I did a real sloppy zenithal highlighting with rattle cans. Uh, but it's the second group of models I've done that for, and I certainly don't have it down. So now every, they're just kind of gray, which I know is not what the goal is, but um, that's as far as I've gotten. It's hard to see color underwater. It's true. Maybe it's just uh, dark out. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we uh, switch gears, uh, focus on our path to glory? Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about any games you've been playing over the last couple weeks? Definitely. Well, I missed last week because I was out of town. But uh, the week before that, uh, you, Eric, and uh, Ben Latwig and I had a nice three-player game. Uh, We played on a single board for this particular three-player game. And our goal, we had three different objectives. And the person who controlled the most objectives got the most victory points. And uh, we had a lot of fun, tense moments. And we all attacked each other at different points. And there are some uh, critical roles and, and maneuvers, and you ended up winning that one. Well done. Buddy. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of hard work and pitting you two against each other. Exactly. A little <laughs> bit of both. <laughs> I, and not to spoil anything, but I think the Eric has the advantage in multiplayer games because nobody takes him seriously. <laughs> I mean, on him. I just didn't roll well enough. <laughs> Although I did convince uh, Ben to attack you and almost, you know, trying to work towards my uh, hidden, hidden agenda. Yep. Yep. It almost close. worked. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then, of course, we had our, uh, our Circle of Paint game, which we'll cover a little bit further later. Absolutely. All right, Eric, me, what did I do for games in the last couple of weeks? I'm trying to think of how many. I think I've gotten three multiplayer games in, but maybe one of them was before our last recording. I don't remember. Uh, a lot of multiplayer games in uh, in preparation for this episode. Um, so that was fun. I've had a lot of fun with those. Um, the ongoing saga of Bright Flare in one of those games, uh, she and her war band uh, found themselves playing against Undead, uh, Oryx and chaos um, and uh, barely or nearly uncovered a life stone to, to heal Railgun's gut wound, but uh, managed something else entirely. Uh, that was a case where uh, that was one of our maybe first or second games that we played in multiplayer. And uh, certainly the long range um, of the Stormcast created some advantages. And I, but I, I eat that out by one victory point. Um, I think you were chasing me there and, uh, Josh, so yep. managed yep. managed to to clear that one and take it, um, and then uh, Ashudna and the Dogs of Warcry came out for our 
um, circle of paint game. And, uh, they'd, they'd heard this rumor that a lone Varengard was spotted near a ruined temple. And I, they just couldn't help themselves. They had to come out. So, but I'm going to, I'm going to hand that segue over to Pavend to talk about the, the game he set up for us, which was quite the treat. Yes, I had the pleasure of setting up uh, this three-player game as the culmination of our last Circle of Paint challenge, where we pitted three of our painted Varengard against each other in a popularity contest on the internet and locally. Um, And, you know, we wanted there to be some game stakes for this competition, but we didn't know what the game stakes were, but something around, like, (laughs) some of these Varengard smashing everybody else. And I wanted... since I was drafted into like kind of coming up with some sort of scenario, I didn't want to, I wanted to everybody to have a good time. So that was kind of where it started. Then I wanted it to have like narrative resonance with what we've been doing. So I came up with as follows. Um, I I guess I'll start with the kind of the, the narrative. So like your war band, this is what I sent out to Josh and Eric uh, a few days beforehand. So your war band has heard rumors about the splinter of destiny has become revealed again in the Bloodwind spoils. And um, it's close to where you are. Like you have a chance, but you have to act now. Otherwise other people, other war bands, other warlords are going to fly towards this artifact. You don't know how it works, but you just know it's powerful. Um, and so, you know, bring whoever you want, uh, you know, bring whatever war band you want. And then everybody arrives on the scene and you're actually at the, at the, at the, the entrance to a shattered storm vault. And, you can see the splinter. The splinter of destiny is actually exposed. You can just walk up and grab it. Um, although, also there at the same time is a Varengard has already kind of claimed the artifact. And I actually like to think rather than the Varengard being somebody that just got there first, but the Varengard was also chained underneath the ground in the storm vault. Um, who, you know, he was a, a very evil warlord that Sigmar was able to capture and, and, and put in prison. Uh, I don't know if the timeline quite works there because, like, it, it's, the Storm Vaults are Age of Myth. Uh, Varengard are kind of Age of Chaos. Like, does it line up? Sure. I, I, I would say it does. It's magic. Um, but so here's the, the here are the rules. So we were playing um, a Triumph and Treasury game. And so it's a it's a it's a three player uh, multiplayer game, and there's a couple special rules in play. One is regarding the Varengard. The Varengard activates at the beginning of each battle round, at each combat phase, and at the end of each combat phase. And we all d- throw two d6, and the winner gets to activate the Varengard. Varengard makes two action as normals. Uh, yeah, you spend your initiative to 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 spend on the abilities the Varengard has based on the scenario monsters and mercenaries. Um, and I get plus one cause that's my, that's my benefit from winning because I, I painted that model. Um, so that's one special rule. That's kind of the twist. The other special rule was the, well, the game, the victory condition is you got to pick up the treasure, which is in the middle, which is a splinter of destiny and take it off a table edge. So just use a movement to get off the edge of the table. And, um, I really didn't want you to be able to, or I to be able to just like, you know, bounce on there and bounce out. Because, you know, there's some super high movement characters and they can just like really move across an entire table. Nobody can catch them. And so the the rule that came up with me is like the weight of destiny. So as soon as you put this artifact treasure in your possession, uh, a couple of rules start to affect your your fighter. One is that they, their maximum movement goes down to four immediately. 
So if they used five inches to pick up the treasure, they're done. That's the end of their, their action. And furthermore, they can't be moved by any other means. So you can't teleport them. You can't use any kind of hijinks. I was specifically thinking of Josh's um, ability to just, uh, you know, take fighters into the shadow realm and poop them out somewhere else. Uh, yep. Because that's another way just to end the game immediately. Um, so the, the, those those were the rules. And um, the reason why I wanted to give the Varengard a lot of activations is because I wanted him to seem deadly. And in my experience, um, no matter how powerful an individual fighter is, if they're just one, they just get torn down with the number of activations a full warband can bring to bear. This is kind of like I think the problem monsters often have is that they just like run out of activations and then they're just sitting ducks. So I wanted to make the Varengard a little bit more deadly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's kind of the setting. We all deployed around, like we all had our daggers deployed around the entrance to the Storm Vault, eight inches away, specifically so the Varengard can get there in one move for first turn. Um, and then the rest of our armies are coming on the board in waves after that. Um, does somebody else want to kind of go through the battle? Initially, I think when we were kind of just playing with the idea, it was, yeah, we'll play a game, a three-player game, and, um, you know, Paven will get to use his his Varengard, et cetera. And there's a couple of things that were really cool that I that I very much appreciated. Is one, you know, you didn't, that wasn't, having full control over your own Varengard and smashing face and all that kind of stuff wasn't your uh, bailiwick. Like, you were like, no, nah, let's do something different. So it was cool that that you were kind of elevated it to something we could all play with. And yep. it became kind of the third party NPC. And then um, the next was, you know, kind of coming up with, you know, the story, having um, a few extra rules and the, the weight of destiny um, edition where it, it shrunk your movement to, to four inches really, I mean, even at the outset um, was an interesting hook for me because one, yeah, you don't want to treasure uh, games can be over quickly when you have a model with high movement. Uh, and then two, it's just an interesting space that the, um, you know, an artifact would affect you in certain ways. And so I could see uh, expanding on those kinds of ideas where a, a certain treasure could um, cause you to automatically make an attack action as part of your activation or, you know, um, a bunch of different things that could be very colorful and create some complications for, um, for, for winning the objective. So Mm -hmm. what were your thoughts, Josh? Yeah, no, I I agree. I thought it was an awesome experience that, that Paven came up with a rule set and a scenario and this unique treasure so that we had more of a narrative game and, and didn't, like you said, decided to make the Varengard uh, a unique NPC that we could all control at different times, so we'd all still have fun with that. Uh, so that definitely appreciated that. It made for a really interesting game. Although in the end, uh, did you actually get to activate him, Pavement? He did uh, once. Uh, yes, yeah. I got okay, good, good, good. Whew. Yeah, we all did once, actually. That was cool. Did, so. yeah. All right, all right. So, um, yeah, to, to get it started... We um, had, uh, and we'll talk about this down the road, but we used a, a, a three-way deployment, um, which is what we use for a lot of our pl- games that have three players in it. It's a kind of even deployment. Um, we used the Storm Vault, Shattered Storm Vault terrain, along with some other Warcry terrain. Uh, so it was fully painted and just uh, just felt really cool and ready to ready to play on. Any other kind of visual cues stand out as we get started? Yeah. Varengard uh, sitting there in the middle. 
Yep. Just yeah. love to grab it. We all pounce on him. Yeah, you two positioned or deployed uh, kind of on either side. So if the storm vault is long wise, uh, you were on either side of of one end of the shattered vault, and I was towards the the end of the long end on on another side. So I was kind of Sigmar's statue was facing me, uh, which made me so angry. <laughs> at, at Sigmar. Um, <laughs> And uh, we got uh, we got to roll, and you, Josh, got first initiative, I believe. For Josh, the, got to move the Varengard first. That's what I'm thinking yes. of. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So Paven got initiative, but you won the roll off to control the Varengard. Yep. And I pounced on your uh, beast speaker. And you were like, "Oh, I am gonna wreck Eric and his dogs of war cry." And what he didn't know is he was playing right into my strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, Paven told me this really great story and I really liked it. I always thought that this artifact was really cool, but guess what? Ashudna didn't care. Ashudna uh, just wanted to kill himself uh, a Varengard and show how t- tough and powerful he is now. Uh, and so my plan, my initial plan was to just go after the Varengard and let you two squabble over some pesky artifact. Um, <laughs> so Ashudna, I just imagine he screamed some guttural nonsense that uh, offended the Varengard so bad that he had to come over and face him in, in combat. <laughs> and then what happened? Well, oh, the Varengard, you know, since you had brought three Rock Tusk Prowlers, uh, two were on the board, the Varengard decided to knock out that beast speaker, prevent those dogs from running around. In one attack action... The Varengard took out the Beast Speaker, 15 wounds, tough four, and then used the next activation to put a lot of wounds on uh, one of my pups. Or did it take out that pup completely? I think it just... Nope. Knocked it down to five. Yeah. Knocked yeah. it down. Uh, so that was that was tough. Uh, as expected, though, uh, Ashudnu was just excited, like, yes, that's worthy. End of that battle round, uh, Pavend was able to take control of the Varengard. Uh, and took out that one pup uh, that had five wounds left, which, you know, is kind of hard. You're like, oh, do I do that or not? And then uh, took a swing at my other pup. So I only had two dogs on the Rock Tusk Prowlers on the board at that time. Another one was in my hammer come on later. Um, and uh, so, and then took that one down to almost nothing. Um, we got to another activation, and I was able to take control of the Varengard and took a, uh, one action to <laughs> swing. Now I'd gotten a bunch of attack actions coming in from the dogs from, uh, a came over. Uh, and so in the, this last kind of activation war, I managed to, to take over the Varengard. I was like, Oh, I could have him run away, but then I'm like, then I'm gonna have to chase him down to attack him. Uh, so I compromised with myself. I had him do one attack action, killed the other dog. And then he cowered. He just sat there and cowered in front of a who was just, enraged and so he he used the weight action for his second action it was unbelievable um and then uh ashudna and uh the slaughter priest that he'd brought with him laid into him i think it was ashudna that ended up uh, a couple of crits or something like that and took him down to his final final wounds and and he he passed uh this great world and and really now ashudna is an honorary varengard so Sweet. I had brought the most number of models. I think I had 13 models in my warband. So I knew I was going to be have some to some to spare. Um, 
but uh, I really wanted to see what it would take for me to take down a Varengard, and uh, it was it was two pups and a beast speaker, uh, to be exact. It probably would have been more. He he may have been able to take out a Shudna in, in one fell swoop uh, had I had one of you guys had that third activation with him. Uh, oh, yeah. But but I wanted a Shudna to to be the do the killing blow. So my narrative was settled, and I just sat back and. I just I think I snuck one uh one planes runner up onto the dais to like I don't know stop somebody from moving a little bit or something like that but yep. well, why don't you guys take over from here awesome. Yeah so me and Josh being the power gamers we are we're always playing for the objective um Yeah and I was like watching the Varengard charge off and then the <laughs> Eric used the Varengard to attack his own guys I mean like man that's not how I thought people would play it uh, especially after he like didn't use the uh his turn with the Varengard to go chase after our war bands mm-hmm. um uh but yeah uh i mean i mean uh, josh i don't know if you want how much color commentary you want to give but we were just scrapping over the objective trying to like i was trying to like pass it from goblin to goblin as they were dying slowly I painted up my Brugit. He got into this game, but he didn't really do much besides shuffle over, get the artifact, and then was murdered. <laughs> fell down <laughs> stairs. <laughs> yeah, he fell down a flight of stairs, threw the artifact onto, I think, Skitrag got it. You know, Josh was constantly moving, you know, high damage output dudes onto my lowly, lowly gremlins and <laughs> shanking them in the back. Yeah, yeah, make him um, feel bad. Although you punked my leader in the first round. Yeah, don't yeah, mention I mean, that. That's my go-to. <laughs> if I get a if I get a I'm, I'm going for your leader. I think we t- we talked about this last episode. Uh, yeah, that Thrallmaster <laughs> is a huge bullseye on him. Well, so. you knew I had the quad. I w- I had saved it the whole round, uh, and I was really surprised when you moved into range. And I was like, well, gotta go for it. Yeah, yeah. I thought I had positioned well enough, but I I had made a mistake. Yeah. Yep. But, we don't but yeah. often, so I got to capitalize on them. But uh, <laughs> it's a real Shark Tank around our our uh, gaming tables. Yeah, uh, I guess Josh, what were you think? What were you thinking? What was your strategy here? Oh no, so I think uh, well, I mean, you um, were able to get a goblin on it right away. So my uh, my main thoughts were to try and get up there and engage your goblin, slow it down, and try to move around so I could capture it and start running the other way. But uh, but like you said, we just kind of like. Your goblin would catch it. He got caught by the planes runner, killed it. He dropped the treasure. One of the other goblins picked it up. They ran away. I caught it, killed it. <laughs> and it kept getting passed along until your leader got it. And he was tied up by a rock tusk prowler. Eric's reinforcements started coming in. And uh, it's getting surrounded. And we managed to tie him up just in time, or else you would have been able to move off the board. And I, I got him down. It dropped. Another goblin picked it up. <laughs> Yeah, and then, I, th- I thought as soon as Skitrag had it, I was I was fine. He's yeah. like a, he's a he's my toughest guy. He's got a bunch of good artifacts. He needed like one more activation to get off the table. Um, and you guys like put up a good a good united defense. Like a rock test prowler comes flying off from the far board edge, and uh, yeah, you were able to murk him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, and then ironically enough. Eric's planes runner managed to find a, some narrow passageway and jumped down there and picked up the treasure. And that that planes runner was sitting up on the dais, and I was like, uh, "What am I going to do with him?" Because I thought he was engaged with uh, one of your guys, Josh. 
So I was just like, I can't do anything. I'll just uh, attack this guy. And you're like, uh, one of your teleports, you moved him back and he wasn't actually in combat. And so I was like, okay, uh, so what do I do with this guy? And I'd happened to, again, I still had quite a few numbers on the board. I think I had um, six planes runners on the board and, you know, uh, the dog and some other stuff. So I still had quite a few activations and I, I may have had more activations than both of you still. Um, and so I was like, all right, what am I going to do with him? And I was like, oh, even though that, that objective is down on the ground, if I jump, I can get there in one move and then I can keep going. <laughs> and then, uh, so, so I did that. I, I, I jumped down, grabbed the objective and I, I moved four more inches. And at this point, everything, that was the last activation, right? Or maybe there's a couple more activations no, no, no. after that. So he was, he was tied up by one of Paven's goblins and then we rolled initiative and you ended up winning initiative and oh, we couldn't, right. e- we couldn't even stop you. So you just disengaged and you left. Yep. So we, we, uh, rolled for initiative and, and I was praying for the most singles. That's not something you usually do, but I was hoping for it. You rolled four singles, didn't you? Four singles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Eric came out with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did my first thing and then I was like, Hey, what else can I do on this table? Oh, I can take the objective. (laughs) So, uh, I, you know, that's it. Kind of was I was not a threat over by you guys the whole game, and I just got you into a pattern of not thinking of me as, as a threat. So really playing the uh, the six dimensional chess. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was a it was a really fun game. Um, mm-hmm. And again, like most like a lot of good Warcry games, you never know how they're going to end off. Those last few activations are are crucial. So yeah, yeah, blast. Um, Paven, was it uh, everything you'd hoped it had been? Outside well, of the Varengard thing. Um, <laughs> no, no, it was a good game. I'm glad you guys had a good time. I think, the, <laughs> uh, I think the special rules I came up with worked about as they intended. The Varengard still died faster than I thought. I didn't expect, with the scenario being set up like it was, I didn't expect him to be focused fired because there wasn't necessarily an incentive to do so. Uh, <laughs> that you knew about yeah <laughs> um he still like his kill count was pretty good so yeah. i don't feel yeah. like you know sometimes like you know for like a monster hunt you know the monster just dies immediately um yeah. and so i think i avoided that the the rule i think was dicing off at the beginning at the end was still a little bit clunky um so maybe that but Otherwise, it was a super fun time. It definitely had the war cry moment of me being in a position where I'm like, well, there's no way I can lose to uh, losing. <laughs> <laughs> it's always yeah, good to keep I, you on your toes. <laughs> see, and that's, I have the exact opposite. It's always the, I, there's no way I can win this, and then I win. <laughs> no, not true. Often okay. it's, I don't know if I can win this, and I don't win this. <laughs> I, want to, I want to talk a little bit about Eric's rewards for winning. Uh, There were special scenario rewards. And I think we decided um, that he could only use them um, in games he plays with us because these are made up artifacts. Yeah. Unlike (laughs) the real ones that exist in books. Um, So Eric, you know, controls the, the, the splinter of destiny and it's actually a piece of the plunging spires from the narrative event we did a a few months ago that Eric, Eric and Josh ran and I just participated. Um, but it was, it's a very cool event, and I wanted to kind of call back to that and tie it into a larger kind of narrative construct, which we are creating. And so 
it's a piece of that mechanism. And so kind of the background of that, of that, the plunging spires themselves, they have to do with the kind of how the mortal realms work. And we don't really understand like how they work at some kind of metaphysical layer, but they are part of like a balancing or a creation destruction or a kind of moving magic from one type or the other. Um, but they, they're, they are important on a fundamental level. And so this piece connects the user to a fundamental part of the universe. And so the way uh, a fighter would experience is that they, they hold the piece, the splinter of creation, and they immediately, like, you know, see the universe and then an atom bomb going off and then a baby <laughs> flower you know, blossoming and dying. And they, they feel connected to the whole thing and they, they suddenly understand it all for a moment and then it's gone. And I don't know how your individual fighters interpret this, if this is like a, if they interpret this as a connection to the Great Devourer or something else. Um, but in, that's for you to decide. Yeah. Uh, but when a fighter with this artifact is on the table once per game, this is how it works in game turns, you can choose to reroll all your destiny dice. So as part of like being part of like kind of the understandings of the universe, you have some kind of control over destiny itself. Um, so that's what you get there. Now, Eric, I also had promised you something for killing the Varengard as well. Yeah. Uh, I thought those would be do done by separate people, but uh, you get to double up on all the achievements. Um, <laughs> would, would you prefer a artifact or command trait? Ooh, I think command trait, just command to spice trait. it up. Okay, so when Ashidna kills the Varengard, he splits open with his big old jawbone axe. He split in the killing blow. He splits open the rib cage of the Varengard and reaches his hand in and, and pulls out its black heart. And then he, as as his name implies, he immediately eats it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just he he goes to town on that black heart, taking the power into himself, and. You know, when he does that, he feels the eye of Archeon just for a moment turn towards him yep. and he feels the power and he's on the path and he knows he's, 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 you know, even just for the briefest moments, gotten the attention of the ever chosen. Nice. Um, so what that means is in, uh, as a command trait once per game again, um, and I guess this is how I roll, this is how I balance things, <laughs> you can, um, you you can activate this artifact. You don't have to use an action or anything. Um, but when you do so, your profile is that of a Varengard. Ooh. So is this a command trait or artifact? Command trait. Okay, cool. Um, and then uh, just for one just for one turn, so two actions, or, or for the whole for the whole combat phase for the rest of yeah. the combat combat phase of that turn. And you can also use abilities on the Varengard War Scroll. Oh. Okay. So like one time you just get real beefed up. And oh, then because the power the power courses through you and then it goes away. Yeah, no, that's cool. And that's still I'll just play it on games that we're playing in. I'll or just somebody new in the store. You can just be like, oh, we wrote our own command. <laughs> uh, and so listeners, just be prepared because the next game we play. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to put the full bearing of these uh, new found abilities against yeah. these two fine players and they're yeah, going to complain yeah, a lot about final it. Final convergence. <laughs> 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 oh man. 
Yeah. I need to win that at some point. All right. <laughs> uh, very cool. Thank you, Pavin, again, for coming up with a, a really interesting way to to close off that uh, circle of paint. Um, it was a lot of fun, and I, I think I'm, I'm excited to play more games like that. It was a paragraph and a couple of extra rules, and it gave it a ton of flavor that uh, will make for a, a very memorable afternoon with you guys. So. Mm-hmm. A uh, quick, quick, quick question: Are we gonna put pictures of the game anywhere? Because I know we took a bunch of pictures. Yeah, but I will th- promise something we're not gonna do. Yeah, you put some stuff up on the Discord, so we've uh, we've shared some of that uh, within our within the uh, Mortal Realms crew. Um, we'll put some of those game those pictures up on Twitter. We'll put some of those pictures up on our Discord in our Warcry uh, general chat, so you okay. can find them in both places. All right. Um, fantastic uh, path to glory. I would say Ashunda's, well, you know, a lot further than he thought he would be. Um, I, I'll also say the planes runner who has the, the shard of destiny saw all of those things flashed for his eyes and it confirmed for him that everything must be laid low. Uh, and uh, that, that there's probably multiple paths to do that, uh, but in the end it will happen. Uh, and Ashudna may have, with this uh, kind of that Eye of Archeon, gained a little ego and maybe more interested at this point in, in gaining more favor uh, with the uh, Archeon Industrial Complex than tearing it down like he may have been more interested in prior. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's so out. Might be, might be. You know, once you pop, you just can't stop. <laughs> Let's move on to our latest circle of paint uh, discussion. And uh, for those just joining us, you just heard the recap of our game that was uh, capping off the last uh, season's circle of paint, which was a Varengard contest, painting contest. This season, we are doing a terrain challenge, doing an entire war cry board uh, worth of terrain at all. So why don't we start with uh, the low hanging fruit pavement? Uh, how's, how's your, and, and I'm on there too. Uh, how's your uh, terrain challenge going? It is um, in the mental stress stages. Nice. Uh, I've done no progress and I've just kind of, uh, I don't know, kicked around some ideas and but I think it's I you know it just needs more time to marinate. Yeah, that, yeah. that perfect so, brew, that perfect I'm, brew, brew. Game. I'm, I'm thinking that I don't want to convert any more Azerite ruins because I just don't want to. But I might want to just end up with like a really cool board with lots of different elements rather than like such a a strong theme. And I, I guess it's my long way of saying. I think about picking up that soul drain forest, which has all the wildwoods in it, because I love the combination of the man-made structures and the natural features. Um, we had a number of boards. Well, Eric has a number of like boards he makes that have that. And I think it's, it's one of my faves. So yeah. that might be a direction I pursue that it maybe it takes less creative energy. I can just you, paint some trees and call it a, call it a challenge. Awesome. You could, you could lean into the force of Endor or something like that. And, you know, some walkways between the trees. And Ewoks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I start to, I'll, I'll start shaving the screws right now. <laughs> there you go. Yes. 
Um, all right. So I am actually in a similar, uh, boat. I think I'm, uh, on one hand, I could use the excuse that I'm building this giant ironclad, uh, and you know, it's, it's got me enamored and I've got to keep going. And I've got, in addition to that, there's two gun haulers with it. So, I mean, I'm building a lot of stuff. Um, but I'm really, if I, if I'm being honest with myself, I'm hiding from it. I'm hiding from this, uh, shantytown build. Uh, a, a little bit of it, I think is that, uh, is that MDF is not as easy of a material to work with as the plastic, right? I can use, I'm just so used to working with plastic and it's, uh, so forgiving and, um, all that kind of stuff. And the MDF is also easy to work with. It's just like getting out all of my, the glue, it's the glue. It's, it's the white Helmer's <laughs> glue. Um, getting it all over my hands and all that kind of stuff. So I am, uh, I think I'm at a stage with the ironclad where I'm almost ready to kind of like get it ready to be painted. And so I'll, I'll stop building on that. Uh, and I'll be able to switch over to this, but man, or, or what do you guys think listeners? Should I just turn my ironclad into my terrain project? Hmm. Huh? Mm. Turn, change, change directions. I guess, I guess, how would it, it can't serve as a whole board. So it would be like the main terrain feature for like a mission. Like a. So I'd have to build up a little bit more of like a dockyard or um, something like that. Mm -hmm. Or kind of a, yeah, a few pieces like that to kind of create some elevation, create some other stuff. And yeah, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be as full, but I'd have to figure that out. I'd have yep. Uh, yep. a lot of stuff. So I could I could go that direction and say, hey, this is the board I'm working on. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I mean, part of the reason I egged you on, guys on or encourage you guys to, to pick this is so I could get that, that terrain build done, uh, needing that deadline. So I would feel a little bad not completing it. Yeah, it seems like you're just kicking the can down the road on that one. Um, how about this? If we, uh, let's, if we go a couple more podcasts without, without progress, maybe we just got to get together and all three of us have a board building day to get some inertia. There or, you go. How, or how about this? How about this Paven? You and I team up and build one board to defeat Josh. One awesome <laughs> board. <laughs> but, uh, no, I think that's a good idea. I mean, more, more chances to hang out and, and, uh, and talk and, and build and that sort of thing would be fun. But to the responsible one of us, the one who's done what he says he's going to do, Josh, how's been, how's your circle of paint going? It's going well. Thank you. Thank you. Since, uh, so since our last podcast, um, I got another quarter of the board, the pillars decorated and built. And, uh, actually tonight I finished decorating the pillar sections for the third quarter and I've started gluing them together. So, uh, there, I had some suggestions for names, and uh, I think I'm gonna go with Halls of Pandemonium. Just got, you know, kind of a Diablo vibe there, but also kind of insinuates that it could be a little labyrinth or uh, unique area of the of the eight points. So definitely looking forward to getting the columns decorated and put together. And then I'm gonna put some patterns on the tops of them and start working on painting and the other elements for like stairs or vines and walkways and that kind of stuff. But Making good progress. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for carrying the team. Letting there be some progress between us so that uh, everybody who shows up for this podcast has something entertaining out of the circle of paint. <laughs> 
so it looks like we've got about uh, 10 more weeks, two and a half months uh, to for our getting this done and posting it out. Um, that means there's five more episodes of uh, Dogs of War Cry in this season. Uh, and then we'll have that uh, kind of for you guys to look at. So if you have any ideas or thoughts or feedback, certainly uh, uh, get in contact with us, tweet at us at Dogs of War Cry or hit us up dogs of war cry at gmail.com all right what is going on in the visions of madness first of all adepticon gibbering dome narrative war cry event on thursday march 26th from 10 a.m to 6 p.m if you're at adepticon come say hello uh, i know some of you are on a wait list um, and some of you are uh, on the list to, to play uh, we put out the initial teaser player pack uh, this last week. So those of you who are on the list for Adepticon should have received that. I don't know if the waiting list would receive that yet. Um, and then we also asked um, if you if you are signed up to attend uh, and you did get a spot, um, that you would email us at dogsofwarcry@gmail.com at and let us know what you think of the pack, if you have any questions. We've gotten a few questions in regard to uh, the list makeup, which I have to put a clarification on. Um and I'll do so through the pack and, and put that out. Um, but uh, that way you can keep up with update and updates and news that are, are coming out as we're uh, kind of getting closer to the event. Anything to add to that, Josh? Nope. Nope. I think that's perfect. Cool. All right. New releases. Paven, what we got? What do we get? We got a lot, a whole bunch of stuff last weekend. First, we got... Tons of cards. Nine nine card packs? Is that right? Yep. yep. Yeah, we got nine card packs. Finally, we, we did it. Bunch Woo. of new packs in the game. Um, first wave. Yeah, first wave. First maybe wave of two of the of the of the, of the wave packs. I think there's six more uh, coming. Let's let's do our hot takes real quick on the cards. Thoughts. What seems fun? What seems good? 300 point ogre gut lord or over 300 i think it's 315 that's a lot of points yeah so i think it's our first one uh that's a regular fighter card 315 to breach that mm-hmm. um it is one tough card it's tough uh tough five it's 40 wounds um oh. but it has a strength six attack three of them that do 510 damage so that's that's pretty strong but yeah uh, and he's definitely going in my list, but he may be a little more than you need when it comes to um, power output. But he's going in my list. I've got uh, him, a lead belcher, a, a bull with iron fist, and some knoblars waiting to chew up the competition. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Smorgasbord so, of Karngrad, right? <laughs> <laughs> nom, 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 nom. <laughs> But yeah, how about you guys? Anything else? I investigated the Skaven deck a little because I picked up a pack for my friend who I'm slowly dragging, kicking, streaming into It's finally war. here. It's finally happening. Yeah, David. yeah, yeah. We we bought, I got we got the Skaven pack and then we went up to my attic and day and dug up all of his eighth edition Skaven models. Nice. Um, and he's got he's got one of everything except for I think the new Storm Fiends. Um, so he definitely we you know he got in a thousand point list. I don't know reactions to the rules on the cards. They seem very strong, high movement, um, access to a real cheap body in the giant rat. 
Yeah. Um, yep. And then as well, some like super tough stuff. Like Storm Fiends are also over 300 points. They have some crazy guns. Um, Red Ogres are also very strong um, or like very beefy characters. So they're kind of, they have a good combination of cheap bodies to grab objectives and hammers to when you need something to go away. Um, so they look, they look fun. They look cool. You know, he's pretty much able to play with all the toys he's got. So that's great. And he, if he needs to buy those, uh, storm fiends, like what a fun kit to, to, Oh, beautiful sculpts. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Josh, which one's, uh, lighting your fire? You know, there's, uh, the, I think the biggest thing is just, there's a sheer number of profiles available for some of the packs, you know, for Skaven, there's like 20 cards for 20 different types of miniatures or weapon profiles and, uh, Cauldron Overlords at 25, 23 or 25, but yeah, it's just amazing. You know, they kind of, uh, any weapon option a model may have, they put a card for it. So I think we're going to see a huge range of diversity and, you know, so I, I struggled for like half an hour trying to put together a KO warband and I got, I think I have one that'll work a couple, couple balloon boys and, uh, you know, thunder over the cannon. And then uh, a few of the Arcanauts get, get about seven models, but I was like, oof. So I'll have to try it and see how effective it is, but it's a, a small number of models and, you know, anything that's on foot, it's only moving three inches. So we'll have to see how that goes, yeah. but here's definitely a, here's, excited. Here's another fun and good thing. I'm hoping this, uh, is a, is a doorway for more people to come in and play Warcry. Um, yeah. I think we saw that early on that people were able to do that. Um, so I, I'm I'm hoping to see more people coming out to the store and trying it out and having more options to get into. And I know that one of the our locals, um, uh, Phil, would love the Seraphon to be available. And and I th- are they available in the next wave? Yep, should be. So and and that's his gateway. Like that's the thing he needs for him to get into it. So. Um, I think that that's going to be the case for our people. So I hope my message out there is, you know, those of you who are playing or, or running leagues or doing that sort of stuff, use this uh, as a as a nice new doorway for people uh, to get into the game. So uh, there's into the kind of uh, I'm going to flip this as part of like there's we're going to talk a few th- about a few different um, maybe concerns that we have with the new cards, but I want that to be um, kind of balanced out with we're going to get new players in it's going to be you know a lot of new things to discover it'll be interesting and and fun etc so what are some of the concerns uh is anything uh make you guys nervous does anything kind of worry you about them nope perfect game (laughs) (laughs) oh carefree pavened (laughs) um well i have i have seen some things on the web and uh you know just some people are concerned about the number of cards because they think it may give people uh too many good choices you know that may um that, that may be more powerful in the long run than the more limited options for some of the war bands out right now um i think i saw i saw one person talking about the number of skaven you can put out in a thousand point list you can get you can get 13 out there so <laughs> that for a thousand points that's a, a lot of models so that's a lot of activations you know you're going to be winning those grab the treasures and run sort of scenarios or controlling objectives. And of course, just the, the sheer number of uh, models that now have ranged attacks or really high movement, high strength, high number of wounds. We, we have, you know, doubled the playing field in terms of factions and, and they're all going to be different and changing the dynamic quite a bit. And I think 
just based on the number of shooting models that are out there now, is we'll have to start looking at maybe some more terrain that has line of sight blocking that doesn't have the grates or other kinds of things to make it a little more balanced sometimes. But we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I think that there is opportunity for some things to look like they got it all going for them. Had a really good conversation with one of our local players who's uh, played against Stormcast uh, and had some tough matchups against them, against them. And it's, you know, sometimes makes him a little nervous playing them or, um, you know, and we see some of those things where we've got other things with really long range and high damage or that sort of stuff. Um, what I want to, I want to cautious in, in talking about this is that, uh, any kind of overt negativity towards these warbands or these particular models that are uh, stronger because they make people feel like they can't pull out these models or they can't play these games. As we get these new models out and people putting these on the table and we see new things happening. And, and I don't think, um, you know, we've seen anybody with a strong build just run over people consistently. Um, but if we do, or if you do see a particular build or a particular set of things in your group, just never losing on one hand, that could be the player that could be the person who's playing them. Like Josh is a very good player. I don't know if it matters, um, you know, which war band he picks up. I think you're going to figure out how to do well with them and, and be flexible. Um, and by no means are you undefeatable or undefeated. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, if you experience somebody who's always winning or winning, you know, more than they're losing, it can feel like it might be the war band, but don't, don't take the credit away from the player, uh, for doing good with the war band either. So I think, um, I think it's gonna be hard to tell where, where this all lands. And certainly there's some builds or some models that are going to feel like they're not as worth it. But I mean, again, my planes runners are often my, <laughs> my MVPs because they're left alone and unexpected, you know, uh, you don't think much about them. So um, there's always there's always room to be surprised by what ends up winning your games in Warcry. The scenarios are always going to change it up too. So Yep. Yeah. I got a couple hot takes for you guys. Yeah. First is that I think the game could always be min-maxed in a way that could take it away from, from a fun range if that's not what you're the game you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think that has changed at all. Like there's always going to be an opportunity to kind of squeeze as much efficiency out of fighters um, as you can. Um, and it would be cool to do a super competitive tournament once here and just see what that's like. Sure. So that's not really how we play locally. Um, but it'd be inter- I would be interesting to see that facet of the game and then immediately back out the door. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I often have a philosophy that I think that I do think that competitive play is healthy and fine for people to want to do. And I, I wonder sometimes if um, having a healthy competitive um, kind of outlet, it could act like a release valve um, for an otherwise, you know, narrative space uh, to better kind of delineate where you play, which type of game, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. If you have no, if you only have one place, one kind of space to play in or one kind of meta to play in, and you're lean competitive, then that's where you're going to, you know, pull out and you're going to scratch that itch there, right? Regardless of what it is. But if you have something that says, okay, now this is where we're, this is where we're going to put our, you know, the nails out. Um, 
you know, hit our, our, our hardest, hardest lists or min max or whatever. Um, we're going to test our, our best skills, um, you know, do it there. And then when we come back to league play or, you know, whatever, we're chilling out, you know, we're, we're being a little more relaxed. The other thing too, is how many of us are, are playing the games just so we can roll some more on the trial of champions, uh, injury tables and the on aftermath. Table. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm so looking forward to trying that out. Yeah. So, oh, you yes. know, give me, Give me that imbalance uh, so we can get this over in two rounds so I can roll on my tables again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I kid. I kid. I kid. All, All right. right. My other uh, hot yes. uh, is um, I feel like um, I am bearish on toughness, toughness and bullish on movement. And what I mean there is I think that toughness tends to be you pay too much for it. Um, yep. given the value it brings you and movement, you usually don't pay enough for. So I think movement's more important than toughness, but that's just kind of my non-competitive, competitive, competitive uh, <laughs> uh, pricing guide. Yep. I, I, I'd, uh, I think I'm on board with that. I like movement play a whole lot more. I like, I, I think the things that stick out in my mind in terms of like losing a game is over. I can't get there fast enough. Yep. Also coming also in the stores, Last weekend, when you're listening to this, um, Spire Tyrants, our seventh Chaos Warband uh, novel to the to the Mortal Realms and to the Eight Points, uh, came out. They got a great old school aesthetic, a lot of some fur, but a lot of armor and leather and quads. Uh, so very cool warband there. Um, the Orgroid Myrmidon who is um, the sibling fighter to the Orgroid Thermaturge, um, but more punchy and less uh, magic-y. That's also a very cool model that is out. And the Stole Drain Forest box set. So this is a new Ravage Land set. Comes with cards, comes with tokens, comes with six trees. So two sets of the new Awakened Wildwoods plus a couple sprues of Scatter Terrain from the Time One Ruins. Really good for if you want a more natural feel to your battlefield. What are your thoughts on those other releases? Well, I didn't pick up the Spire Tyrants. I do think that you know they have a diverse range of races. So, you know, there's another Chaos Dwarf and there's a Beastman um, that's in there as well. So it, it looks really interesting and it, it looks like they have some unique abilities and mixes based on what I've, I've heard about. So definitely looking forward to seeing those on the table. And then in the Ogroid Mimardon is just an awesome model. Yeah. I think I'm going to get him as an ally here pretty soon. Yeah. You're already seeing uh, that model make the Twitter rounds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what do we expect to, to come next? What's, is this uh, probably not this next week as you know, going to want to uh, give us a few some breath with this um we think in some more stuff in february yeah i think um well, originally we were thinking we'd get the the mind stealer spheranx and the fomeroid crusher you know they said soon so you know i was thinking end of january but we don't have them yet so i'm guessing they should come sometime in february but um we are getting what is it wrath of the ever chosen campaign book for aos this next weekend which should have some interesting information about the eight, uh, eight points in general, but perhaps these models will be coming out in around a similar time frame. Do you think they'll discover a ninth point? Probably not. <laughs> Unless it's you. It's the power inside. <laughs> it's the friends you made along the way. All right. 
also, also MIA, we got another six card packs coming out. Um, people are are awaiting those. Um, kind of if it, if your faction is in that in that next six, uh, boy, you can't wait. Um, and the signs of the flame. Where yeah. are they? Yeah. Maybe they're they're we looking for their flame or burning the flame. I don't I don't, I don't have a good minor joke here. I am I am actually if we're gonna speculate wildly, pretty excited that we nope. haven't seen models for them yet because I think they will get some sort of big release packaged with something else. Hmm. So either against another warband or. I don't know, with terrain or or something bigger than just a warband release, um, and that's why they're they're being kind of held. But yeah, I, I wondered if I had wondered if uh, Spire Tyrants and Scions were going to be like a a second uh, starter box um, once this one kind of ran out. I know that the the current starter box is still on the GW site for the US, and I still see it in stores, so it hasn't sold out all the way yet. Uh, maybe they're, maybe it'll be this summer. Who knows? It's possible. The one year anniversary sort of thing. Yeah. I guess, but it's a long way to wait. Because I'm gonna imagine yeah. they're gonna want to put on another six Chaos Warbands after that, right? Forever. <laughs> That'd be dope. Or the, the another thing they could do, and you know they don't necessarily follow any patterns, or they they like to break their patterns. Is one thing they started to do for Necromunda, is do enhancements to existing gangs. Mm-hmm. So that could be something they they explore, yep. or not. True, and and you know theoretically we'll have you know they still don't have any cards predicted for cities of Sigmar, all those different factions, mm-hmm. and of course with the you know light elves coming out this year, and you know there could be more cards coming for those models as well. Yep. They haven't done this yet, but it would for me personally in my own hobby i would love to see a major release of age of sigmar coincide with the release of the their warcry rules because i find building a warcry warband like the first step i want to take with building an age of sigmar army cuz like yeah. i can lock in um like a completed project i can play with so much sooner in warcry than i can with age of sigmar yeah good but, point um you know, they're not just making the game just for me. Although it feels <laughs> that way sometimes. For me too, Craven. <laughs> me too. All right. Uh, that's been a fantastic stroll down uh, memory lane and hopes for the future. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we will all three of us focus on the primary victory condition objective, uh, playing multiplayer games in Warcry. We'll be right back. Season 2 is here as promised and we're excited to bring you more Dogs of Warcry. We have new monsters and warbands out in the next few weeks. We're going to be experimenting with a few warband deep dives. We'll be revealing more of our plans leading up to Adepticon and of course our progress running our local league. We're thankful for all the encouragement and feedback so keep it coming. Welcome back. Our victory condition this episode is discuss the variety of multiplayer options from the Warcry book, our experiences playing the various missions and victory conditions, and share some ideas we have to enhance this experience. While the first question uh, I have for you guys uh, is, why would we want to play multiplayer games? Pavend, what are your thoughts? 
Um, it's a great way of getting a lot of people around the table and have, you know, interact with all your friends all at once. Like that's always been my favorite way of playing video games. Uh, like the, the multiplayer or collaborative, uh, collaborative. games. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I mean, I remember like, uh, playing Halo, you know, in land style where you've got a bunch of people hooked up, uh, and playing games. Like I always felt like those were the best ways to approach games. And I think board games generally are, are more, you know, more than two players, um, so it really brings that kind of party game feel to it. Eric, I completely disagree. The only way oh. video games is one V one final destination, no items. Everybody's Fox. <laughs> All right. Yeah. What are we talking like about? I, uh, yeah. I think another reason is that it breaks up, uh, kind of the space. If we're playing a lot of one V one, uh, war cry, uh, to pull out a multiplayer game to either, you know, mid campaign or the end of a campaign, uh, kind of culminate something or, uh, you know, put, uh, pit some people against each other that, um, you know, maybe don't usually get to play each other or changes the dynamic quite a bit. I think that's really fun. Mm-hmm. Josh, you got any? Yeah, no, I think it changes the dynamic quite a bit, which is awesome. Um, and I think, um, just, you know, some of our experiences too, is when you have just three people on a, on a league night or in a situation that, a multiplayer game makes a good a good way to play. All three of you could play at the same time without leaving anybody out. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, picking up uh, somebody who's kind of just hanging out, waiting for a fourth to show up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I particularly, I'm always captivated by um, things that we see in pop culture, where you get multiple groups fighting amongst each other in in kind of skirmish style. Uh, whether that be, you know, for you Naruto fans out there or uh, your My Hero Academia or go old school Hobbit or of Five Armies, uh, mid school Gangs of New York um, and back to new school. Uh, you know, some of the games that we played were monster focused games uh, and, you know, you get the, you get your good old Pacific Rim kaiju battle uh, uh, kind of kicks and giggles in. So. Um, I think being able to emulate, we see a lot of this kind of three or four different war bands face off in a lot of pop, pop culture. So it's kind of fun bringing that to the table. Definitely. And I, I think, um, you know, we talked a little bit last season about events and, um, you know, and I think multiplayer games are, have another, um, good way to play an event where you have groups of people on the table or perhaps, different events going on at the same time and conclude into something else. And, and you know, for this particular league uh, starting up on Thursday, we're going to, we're going to try a multiplayer event, kick that off. And it's going to call the a dream of pestilence. And uh, we'll, we'll see how it all works out and make some tweaks, but then we'll make sure we share it with, uh, with the greater community, see what they think. Yeah. I'm excited for that. And it's a, it's also a kind of a place to maybe experiment with new ideas and rules and stuff. Um, because out of four people, there's three, people aren't going to win. So mm-hmm. <laughs> let's just experiment. Let's have fun. So, um, all right. So how are, how, what are some ways that the multiplayer games differ from our regular one V one games of Warcry? Josh. Yeah. Well, um, well, most cases they're larger, they're larger and longer. You know, they, they recommend playing with two boards side by side, and, um, and typically, uh, the, the games in the book recommend four players, but uh, there's the three-player deployment maps that we have. And um, so they usually take a little longer, and there's also 
different rules and tweaks to the rules, which we'll kind of cover as we talk about the different game modes. But um, but they always have some interesting uh, victory conditions uh, to think about. Another way they differ is that you don't know who your enemy is right away. It can be easy for two people to kind of get caught up and the third person you know, picks up the scraps. Or that third person might get pinched in the middle of two people ganging up on them. Um, so there's a lot of, I think there's some different dynamics that come out of that kind of game as opposed to a 1v1 where you know who your enemy is. Yep. Now, let's talk about uh, these different game modes. Um, and there's three primary game multiplayer game rules. There are three primary multiplayer game modes that um, are in the core rule book and then in Tome of Champions. We've got Coalition of Death and Triumph and Treachery in the core rule book. And then we've got Monster Mash from the Tome of Champions. Um, we have to be kind of upfront here. Coalition De- of Death is not a game mode that we played very much. Or um, at or all. at all, <laughs> which as we were <laughs> yes. recording this, we're like, did any of us get one of these in? Um, and some of it, I guess, let's talk about the what the Coalition of Death is and maybe discuss why we overlooked it or just it wasn't, maybe it just didn't fit what we were doing at the time. Uh, Josh, why don't you take us through uh, the rules for Coalition of Death? Definitely. So the main difference is Coalition of Death is a team game. So you can have two teams, um, and uh, on each team, they you know recommend at least two players. Although um, it does have a provision for if one team has more than than the other team, they they get automatically get uh, well one the team that has less people automatically gets priority. But but it's really interesting because you have a team, and the team itself you know the group decides is okay each each warband is going to have a thousand points. Then the team can decide how they want to split that thousand points up for each of their warbands. So technically, you would have two thousand points per team, but one of the warbands could have maybe twelve hundred points, and the other might have eight hundred. So you can kind of change your dynamic and work with your your tactics and your strategy together. But each person still plays their own warband. They still divide it into the three different battle groups. You still get all your initiative dice, and you just kind of add them together or the lowest number gets the initiative, and you each get a wild die. So in that sense, it still plays like your normal Warcry game. Um, the other really interesting thing about this gameplay is that there are two different tables that you roll on for the victory conditions, and it's in effect for that round only. And then the next round, you roll again on the tables, and the victory conditions change. And you do that for three rounds until the game is done. And they use a normal twist card as normal. Um, but... The in the territory is set up by the the people who lost priority, so uh, they're able to kind of shut up the balance a little bit for the game itself, and then uh, then you play and see which team wins. That sounds really interesting. Um, what were some reasons maybe we didn't consider this? We almost always defaulted to triumph and treachery. I, I think um, we initially thought of triumph and treachery just because it um, it fits better with a three player deployment because it's not really a team game. Um, and then when we were trying out multiplayer uh, with four players, I, I think we just maybe uh, forgot that there was a team set up and just didn't have the opportunity to try it yet. If I was going to be completely transparent, I would say these were the first time I've read the Coalition of Death rules was before this podcast. And first, I want to say they sound super fun. 
So I am like, oh, man, we really, I really should have gotten one of those games in. It sounds great, and I do want to some other time. Um, yep. One of the reasons, I think, if we're going to speculate on why we, we haven't gotten around to this one yet, is the narrative construct of the Bloodwind spoils does not lend itself to <laughs> friendship. Right, right. <laughs> so I'm not, like, you know, certainly... Chaos, which is the most common type of warband, isn't like out there making friends with other Chaos warbands. We have like, you know, they have different goals and completely opposing religious viewpoints. Um, and so like it just doesn't naturally feel like, oh, like let's let's buddy up and like, you know, fight these other guys. Um, also, like another thing is like I think a lot of times when you see team games in Age of Sigmar, for example, it's like because there's this already a space constraint in the store, and with Warcry, you can we can like we can uh, we can cram so many people, so many games into a small space. It just feels natural to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what's interesting is that in Age of Sigmar, like I love playing team games. Um, team games take a lot of pressure off of one person, you know, uh, you know, feeling like they've got to, to to perform. You've always got somebody who has your back, and you get to you know, kind of riff off them and you, you share the highs, you share the lows. So I think that there's definitely some reward to playing teams, but I, I feel the same way that um, my initial thinking with my war band isn't, Hey, let me team up with somebody uh, to, to defeat these others. Um, but the other, I guess the other thing I'll say is that I, I, whenever I've played as the single person versus two other people um, like me versus two, um, I feel like I've always had the advantage because I have like one mind trying to uh, run, you know, 2000 points or whatever the points level was, whereas they have the, 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 <laughs> the uh, difficulty of trying to communicate with each other, what they're trying to do and how they're going to work together. Um, and so it's, it, it poses an interesting um, uh, challenge, but I always feel like too, in triumph and treachery, I can just, find somebody to gang up with somebody on <laughs> gang up on somebody else anyway. So, um, yeah. I think, I think narratively the coalition of deaths might really shine if you have teams from the same factions, you know, and the grand alliances. So like chaos versus order or destruction versus death, you know, that might be a good way to do it. It'd be a lot of fun. Sure. sure, sure. Yeah. That, def- that definitely feels better. So, we uh, don't have a ton of experience in this one to share. I think um, the we will the things that we're pulling from uh, that that kind of we came away from this time will apply to this, um, and so we'll talk about how it will apply to this uh, later on. Now let's jump into the mode of multiplayer that we did experience more of, and that's the triumph and treachery. Josh, why don't you take us through those rules, and we can discuss. Definitely. So Triumph and Treachery is all about the A points, everybody for themselves. So it's always the, the easiest to do in a multiplayer setting because you're only worrying about your warrior band and achieving your victory conditions. And um, in this particular case, in, in, in all the multiplayer games, whoever wins initiative is automatically going first. Uh, you don't get to pass it off like you do in a one versus one. And um, and in, in this particular Triumph and Treachery, you're just going in rolling for priority and then the highest to the lowest, you kind of go in that order. Um, and that's true as, uh, for the opposite way where you assign battle groups going up and forward. So most of the war cry rules just apply normally. You use a normal terrain card for setting up and a normal twist card for setting up. And uh, the other unique aspect is in the victory conditions for triumph and treachery, where 
you roll on a chart, uh, just one chart, a D6, kind of establishes the overriding victory that you, condition that you're trying to achieve. But there's also a, another chart of a hidden agendas. There's six of them, but you get to choose that particular hidden agenda that you're trying to achieve in addition to the main victory condition. It just usually adds one or two extra points that, that might give you the edge in winning that particular scenario. And uh, But other than that, it's you know really interesting because you have you know, three to four different people playing on the table, trying to achieve their hidden agenda as well as the main victory condition. And the game is always changing because something will happen to one group and you either pounce on them or you mitigate that and don't have to worry about them and go after someone else. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think uh, the the converse of what Paven was talking about, this one feels like, yeah, three warbands converge on an artifact or a, a place of power and they have to figure out how to uh, succeed versus two other warbands and or f- three other warbands um and to the point is you know i think that odd man scenario or odd person scenario player uh coming to the store rolling up for a league and you're like ah can we fit somebody else in so they can get a game um feels like one of the more important like meta or social uh things to consider and this plays to that strength um uh, so that that aspect I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, for me too, Triumph and Treachery, the name Triumph and Treachery, and I'll talk about this some a little bit later. Um, you know, was the name of an eighth edition Age of Sigmar uh, game uh, that lets you put, I think it was up to like seven players on a table, and you know, you know, playing a big, you'd bring a thousand points or five hundred points of something, uh, and it was a lot of a lot of fun, uh, so fond memory. So whenever I see the triumph and treachery, I, there's something that just emotionally I'm like, yes, I want to play that. So there's there's a little bit of that going for it, um, and I'll talk a little bit as far as kind of things to consider in the future, but not really right now. Josh, what are some of the things that stand up for you that uh, make it kind of the one of your favorite ways to play? Um, I, I think the one of my favorite aspects of this triumph and treachery multiplayer game is the hidden agendas. Um, some of the hidden agendas aren't that great, so I think it'd be a lot of fun to come up with our own unique hidden agendas, maybe for different areas of the A points, or if we've got a narrative campaign or something developed, maybe we'll have unique hidden agendas that reflect each warband's flavor. Something like that would be a lot of cool, to, uh, fun to do. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, the hidden agendas are definitely kind of this, you know, this is my thing to do. We've run it into it a couple of times where multiple players pick the same hidden agenda, Um, partially because like you said, maybe some of them aren't as easy or maybe, uh, too, not as interesting. Um, and so there's some that maybe we gravitate to. I think it would be fun, um, to have those be cards that you draw and, and so that nobody gets the same one, but you don't know what other people have, you know what you have, uh, but you don't know who has the other ones, um, which I think could be interesting to add. I guess, yeah, to add to the variety of it. Right, right. Just a nice, more than just six options. I Maybe we have 18 and everybody draws a card. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, especially if with that many, um, with six, like you have a sense of, okay, somebody's going to be trying to get higher ground. Um, yeah. Someone's going to try and get, uh, was another one getting off the board? No, just keep a, a model has an artifact and they have to survive the game. Yeah, another is, is uh, 
protecting six inches of the middle and not mm-hmm. letting your opponents in there um, or, you know, that sort of thing. So there's a few of those that are um, really careful and they're fun. But if you did, so with six, you kind of would know what's available and what's possible. Uh, if you blew it out to 18, then it'd just be like, I have no idea what to guard against or protect against. Right. Um, yeah. So I think that that's really cool. I like that uh, it takes, I kind of like that it takes the priority out of it, that it kind of uh, forces you into a, if you won that initiative, you got to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's less time to be um, tactical or less time to like uh, assess the situation and, you know, push somebody else to go. You got to kind of take it. Um, yeah. I think that then the other thing is just like I was saying before is, is how do you, how do you approach it? Do you, um, you know, stay out of the way while the other two get tangled up and then come in at the end? Uh, you know, do you gang up with, you know, team up with somebody on somebody else? Uh, the thing I liked, especially as we talked about kind of the new cards coming in, but if somebody's been playing really well and you want to put them in a three-player game, they're probably still going to do really well. Um, but it's just that kind of chance to kind of feel like you're even in the playing field a little bit, maybe, or given uh, you know somebody who's uh, uh, not maybe getting as many uh, glory points out of a game uh, to kind of have somebody to play with or or play against or lighten the load a little bit, you know. So it can be a, a nice way of kind of uh, giving somebody some support. Some support. Mm-hmm. I think try and treachery games are best when the when the players and the game is set up so it's kind of a beautiful mess. Like, you know, there's just spells flying around and swords and people are dying left and right and there's no real way to get like a handle on kind of the game state. I think that's where it's the most fun. It's very laid back and it's kind of just a scrum. I think it's probably the least fun. Um, and we had a game like this, and I think we'll talk about this for us, is where everybody turtles up in their corner. Um, and so like the more you can kind of like get yourself in the mindset to just scrum it out. Um, and the more you can kind of turn the scenario that in that direction, I think it's better. So I think that's when it's most fun is when everybody is taking it easy and just, uh, you know, bashing, having a battle Royale and the Bloodwind spoils. Absolutely. So our third mode and uh, something that we've got a chance to play a couple of games with is the Monster Mash from the Tome of Champions. Josh, what can you tell us real briefly um, kind of what are the kind of couple of rules that they added on to regular play for these guys? So the, the Monster Mash, essentially each person brings a monster and to kind of level the playing field, um, they, they gave kind of a... Uh, a, a way to balance the value of a monster. So, for example, if you had a Chimera with 360 points, I think it is, and somebody else took, you know, something that cost 295 points, for every, I think it's 20, 20 point difference. Yeah, um, the the monster gets an extra point of stamina, and, and the what stamina is used for, since monsters they get three activations, but they only get one action per activation. That stayed true in the monster mash. So for each time a monster activated and did an action, they could try. They could roll on a die on a four plus. They could spend a stamina point to immediately take another action. And uh, you started with three stamina. All monsters did. So, but but those monsters that were less expensive were able to get more stamina and thus potentially be able to activate more often uh, immediately after their first action. So it was really fun way. Uh, 
very brutal because the monsters get in there and they start tearing each other up and then other people start pouncing on the remains so, so it can be <laughs> but it's a lot of fun to take those monsters and see what they can do to each other definitely and it kind of uh, evoked to me like you said kind of this a monster thrashing or you know uh, getting a little bloodlust and and trying to uh, take down the monster their opponent in kind of one round um, uh, with the monsters they do have uh, they do have reductive profiles um, and so when you do certain amounts of wounds to them they can become less effective uh, so for instance uh, the terrorgeist uh, loses some damage uh, on their profile moving from a four eight down to a one two uh, once they've taken a ton of wounds and their move goes down from 12 to 4, and that can be pretty devastating, If, especially if you're trying to like get away from the Terrorgeist or uh, move out of bounds. If they've got uh, less range to go, that means you can maybe come in and, and, and do more work on them. So to, to take that, that extra roll, try and get a few more blows in or do more damage on them uh, in one go, if you've got, if you've got them in your, in your grasps, um, and that that mechanic of rolling to see if you can even attack them. Right. Um, yep. you do the roll yeah. off. That's right. I you... forgot to, to mention that, Yeah, the, the wrestling aspect where they're in combat, you have to roll to see whether or not they are struggling and don't get to attack at all. But if you roll a different number, then you get to attack, but, but the dice number that you roll determines how many attacks you actually get. So, yep. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of, of things that are, are left to chance. Uh, you know, you might get in there uh, and have to wait. Like you used your action to get in to combat, but you couldn't attack that round. The other person's going to come and try and attack you, and you're like, oh, no, am I just going to get wiped out? Um, but you roll the, the same number and so on the dice, and so you tie and you can't, they can't attack you, and then you go in and kind of give them what for. Um, so there's a lot of interesting things like that. I think the, the downside of this one is that it is very much because of the number of activations and because it's single model, um, it is the, it is very much the case of is almost the first one to get into combat is at the biggest disadvantage on the table, um, to put yourself at risk, to put yourself up against another model, uh, means that you're going to take some damage first. Um, and so I, I think there needs to be some tweak that I don't know, lets you get in and, and maybe attack first. Um, but well, I mean, if you use stamina, theoretically, you could try to go again, but, but yeah, or in, in one case I used an ability to grab a model, reposition it so that I could attack, yep. it, you know, so there's certain ways to do it, but yeah, I yep. agree. But the, it, yeah. And so I think you've got a, there's more to learn about playing the monsters, to be able to be aggressive um, while not putting yourself at a, at a big disadvantage um, uh, in taking damage, you know, first or next. So, yeah. And I think this um, would be a lot of fun in a campaign where some people have gained some monsters and then maybe all the war bands are getting together and they're pitting their monsters against each other to win some extra glory or bragging rights. That's yeah. Kind of fun. I think, I mean, I would love to have a campaign that's just monsters. Um, where you maybe do some one-on-one battles and uh, you know, you're almost like, yeah, it could be out in the wild and you're dom- trying to dominate for, for territory, or it could be in the, in the fighting pits of the Varenspire where they're pitting monsters against each other. 
Um, but then, you know, they get, uh, new skills or new abilities or like there's an ability, uh, table that you can roll on and gain new abilities rather than artifacts, mm-hmm. um, or something like that. Or right. yeah, things like that, that I think could be really cool. Um, just because that they kind of put it in a position where monsters could be become named and become legendary. And then, you know, Josh, your warband can try and take down my monster or something like that as right. a challenge. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's a it's a fun it's a, a needed addition. Like Warcry promises that ability to take small model count or single models and and play some games. I think this one needs a little bit more tweaks or evolution to kind of bring it to life, um, or it just needs more playing for us to figure it out and and figure out how to play it well. So, all right, uh, with that then, let's talk about. Uh, kind of our experience, maybe our overarching kind of thoughts and feedback about playing the multiplayer games we played and some uh, changes we made along the way to, to, to alter the experience or alter kind of what it was for us. So first of all, Pave and uh, Josh, I mean, you guys played one of the first multiplayer games. Um, if I think that's correct. Um, Pavin, what was, what was one of the first things that, uh, was the first experiences out of the gate for you? So we've talked about this game a couple of times, but it was um, it was four of us on a large table, and we each everybody had an, was allowed to place one objective, and whoever held the most objectives got the most victory points. Um, and if everybody held the same, everybody got one. Um, and kind of the way the deployment played out and the objective placement played out is that everybody was able to turtle in their corner pretty effectively. Everybody scored every round. We all took the same hidden agenda, which we scored. Um, still some fun moments where we kind of went after each other. Um, but like it really, the, the all of the forces of the scenario pushed us apart. Um, so there was room for improvement, I think, on that game. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea there then is it, uh, and I think, Pavin, you went back um, and spent some time with the different scenarios and deployments. Mm-hmm. Um, what was what was your conclusion when you went back and kind of just read through those? Um, you know, was there any any broad kind of theme there? Yeah. Um, so I think it wasn't necessarily the fault of the victory condition or the deployment. It was the combination of those specific two um, where everybody the deployment was the most far back and the most separated. And if we had chosen any of the ones where we're closer together in the middle, uh, like you would, we wouldn't be able to put place an objective on the board where we could guarantee we would kind of always have control over it. Um, or if the victory condition had been one where we were supposed to like go to the middle or to score kill points, then, you know, us being in our corners wouldn't have been a big deal. And so it was really the combination of those two. I think the larger point I would make is, um, and I don't want to like uh, scoop us if this is a point we're going to make later, but is like multiplayers are enough of an investment in time that I would be more careful about kind of the scenario you're rolling up. And if it seems to be that it's heading in the not as fun direction and this game was still fun. Um, but if it seems to be like less incentivizing like turtle play, then I would re I would re-roll. Um, 
I would I would not recommend that for Warcry regular because I think like the games are short enough that just play it out for fun. Let's see how it goes. Um, I don't think that's worth it when you have like four people and you're gonna be spending forty five minutes playing to an hour. Those are just my thoughts. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Um, yep. All right, so that was an impetus that we found in a couple of games where uh, things that kept us towards the edges or uh, that sort of thing made it uh, difficult. But also the next thing that was uh, really impactful was the size of the board. Um, and in this case, boards. Multiplayer puts you on two regular size boards, the 22 by 33 ending up, or sorry, 22 by 30, ending up in a uh, 44 by 30 board. Um, and that was a really large size, even with four warbands on the table, uh, to make any considerable ground with some of your, your forces. Uh, and that doubly affected, um, warbands with low move units. So that's Legion and Nagash type stuff or Iron Jaws. Um, and, and while Iron Jaws and, you know, um, other orcs have some movement abilities, um, you just couldn't apply as much of your force into the game. So you might get a few things into combat or into, um, into a position that was participating in the game and interactive, but other things were kind of left behind. Uh, I had shooty units, you know, so they have a little bit more advantage in that case because they can apply their, um, actions from further away and get into the game. So we started, uh, deploying, uh, the same kind of whatever the map was showing us, but we would deploy on a regular size board. So we stopped doing double wide boards and we started going to just a regular size board, even for our, I think we played three person. Do we also play a four person on that size board? Uh, no, we, we reduced it by a third and played a four person game. Yeah. So we, yeah, we reduced it by a third play a four person game. And that still felt like it was a little bit too much room for some of the fighters. Yep. Um, and so after that, we started going to just a regular size 22 by 30 board for our multiplayer games that made for very high activity from the get go kind of games, uh, you know, yep. bloody, um, you know, decisions to be made from the start. And um, I had a, just to interject, I, I think that, uh, one thing we didn't mention is for these multiplayer deployments, you only have one battle group each turn. So you get one on turn one, you get one on turn two, and you get the last on turn three, and then the game is done. And that, that was part of the issues. You didn't have enough models to play with, and if the board was too far apart, you didn't have enough time to use those round three models. That's where yeah. shortening the board size helped a lot. Yeah, I think that that's a, a, exacerbated that even further. So if you didn't have a scenario that pushed you towards the middle... And you had uh, the double board size, which made it difficult even to first turn have an effect on the game condition. Uh, and then third, you would have a third turn um, reinforcements come in and either they, there was, they didn't have enough time to get into any kind of position to be effective, you know, or they, you know, they just might, in some cases made, made not, didn't make any difference in the game and you didn't get to use them or play with them. Uh, and so I think, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about, uh, in addition was going to four rounds. So you have more time for that stuff to come on the board, um, and, and be effective. Um, so we, you know, and then, you know, even doing away with turn three deployment, uh, you know, maybe you bring everything that's not on turn one, you bring it all on and turn two, um, and, and cause the kind of the point of it is to get those models on the board and, and play with them and have fun with them. 
uh, and, and since it is a lighter mood kind of thing, uh, getting them on faster and having them be effective is important. Any other thoughts on uh, kind of the, the board size or, or ways of, of keeping things in the game with the, the size of the board or the arrangement of the board? I think we touched on most of the ideas we had. I mean, I guess some other ideas are is having maybe the round two models deploy further in than the deployment map shows and round three even further in. Just, just like you said, so they all get a chance to do something and interact in the game. game. Have we um, seen any scenarios that play with, um, you know, deployment usually gives us kind of a heads up on where models are coming in. Yep. Has there been any play with randomizing reinforcement positions, like rolling a dice and you have different parts of the board that you could come in so you don't telegraph where you're coming in? Uh, no, we haven't tried that. I'm sorry, I just haven't seen anything like that yet. Yet. Mm-hmm. Um I think something else you can do is don't let a four-way game end in a four-way tie. Have <laughs> some sort of sudden death rules or just keep playing until like somebody limps onto that second objective. Yeah. Uh, I think that could have been more satisfying. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That would have been a good way to do it. You know, the there's that one um, hidden objective that we talked about that is the keeping the center clear. You could have like there's always that a center of the board type of objective in play um, as kind of the Hail Mary. Like there's the main objective, whatever you roll for, but there's always like something in the middle of the board that is something to play for. You know, if nobody else was braving, getting brave enough out there um, or, or something like that, that they could always Hail Mary it out into the middle. Yeah. So one of the things uh, that came out of that kind of not from just ourselves, but from others in the community that have helped out with making multiplayer games uh, really fun. Um, Josh, you talked about these three player deployment maps Uh, a few times. We've talked about them here. We've probably talked about a few episodes. Uh, Talk a little bit more about where those came from and um, kind of, you know, what, what our thoughts are there. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I had first seen them on Twitter um, from somebody named Pseudonym or at Pseudothym is uh, on Twitter. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that person had also put them up on the TGA community as more of a generic um, mathematical computation uh, that they were doing at work. And another person in the TGA community called Skyline put those in a really nice format and posted those on Twitter to share. And they're essentially very similar to the Triumph and Treachery deployment maps, but they've been converted to three players, and so they're more of a triangular formations, and um, but a very similar setup otherwise, and, and they work really well. Yeah, I think it was a, a really cool uh, piece, and I, I think given how much that came up for us um, in just having you know an odd number of players or three players to work to play a game or something like that, mm-hmm. I'm really surprised that that wasn't um, kind of the default in the book. Uh, to go with a third player. Um, but, uh, you know, I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's easier to balance a four player because it's, you know, it's a rectangle. Um, yep. uh, so I can see where that's just an easier problem to solve. Um, so yeah, I think that if that would be a, a big suggestion to, to share out to the community, we'll, we'll do our best to share those or to, uh, to promote, um, I think it's pseudo rhythm, but maybe rhythmy. Yeah. yeah I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll we'll promote those and and push those out through the Dogs of Warcry Twitter, and we'll post them on our the Warcry General in our Discord. Um, 
Now, I had mentioned a little bit that there was a previous game called Triumph and Treachery back in 8th edition. And the way it played was that uh, you would, uh, you know, one of the things that was really cool about it is you'd get these cards. So you'd, each round you'd roll a dice. Uh, and if you got a six, then you'd get a card. And the card lets you do certain things that would interrupt the course of play. Um, and so it was really cool in a game of multiplayer uh, wargaming to be able to um, stop somebody's action or tactic and say, nope, you've got to f- uh, focus your attention on somebody else. Maybe you have to, you were going to attack me, but now you have to attack somebody else um, and that sort of thing. Um, and so you could negotiate, you could use those on behalf of the other people. They were kind of play any time sort of things. Some of them were like hidden, uh, hidden agendas where if, you know, the, a player in the war band to your left, uh, took a fighter out, then you would gain some, you know, uh, coins or, or something like that, uh, victory points. Uh, and so they were, it was a really fun game to play because there was a lot of just random, uh, playing of cards and backstabbing and negotiation and that sort of stuff. Well, a few years ago, there was a, um, a player in the community, uh, Jeff Egan, uh, on Twitter, who had put taken those cards from the old Triumph and Treachery and brought them into Age of Sigmar, and so just tweaked them to work with the type of rules and that sort of stuff that um, that that are played in this game. Uh, I worked with them to just format them and make them look cool, or just make them look legible, etc., proofread, etc., and we put that into a document. That was so long ago that I barely remembered that it existed. Um, one of our neos on Twitter uh, at wh underscore narratives, uh, also known as Nuno, um, uh, who is also, I believe, running the Nova narrative event. So he, he <laughs> took those cards and um, made them, uh, adapted them for Warcry. Now this, I just found out that this was the case just this last week, like like maybe Friday or Saturday. So we've not had a chance to play with these either, uh, but you can bet your bottom dollar uh, that we're going to be um, printing those out and making that a part of this and seeing if that, how that enhances our games of triumph and treachery war cry, being able to interrupt or backstab or, or kind of motivate somebody to go and do something on our behalf. You know, I'm, I'm already trying to make those deals anyway uh, to have a mechanic that makes that uh, uh, socially acceptable. Uh, would be great. We'll find those cards. I'll share those cards out on Twitter and then, uh, we'll use them, uh, and, uh, and report back. Uh, but until the next time, uh, have great games on the table and we will be back here soon. It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good, good dog, support the show with a positive review on iTunes, sharing it with friends, joining us for hobby discussions at the motorrealms.com forward slash discord, or leave a tip at themortalrealms.com forward slash Patreon. More content is available at themortalrealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry.